0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. Uh, this is our Thursday edition of Week 15, January 26th of 2023. Uh, I am your host, Karsten. This is our, as I said, our Thursday edition, and of course, with it being Thursday, uh, we'll be doing our franchise focus this time around, talking about the uh, LA Clippers. But before we get into that, we first must, of course. Uh, talk about the games from the last night of action so let's not waste any more time let's get right into that Uh, hopefully my voice will be in good enough shape to do this I don't know why but my voice seemingly still hasn't gotten adjusted to doing the podcast on a more you know nightly basis so I I have some water with me excuse me hopefully I can uh, make it through with a few drinks of water here and there <clears throat> such as that one okay uh firstly the orlando magic win at home against the indiana pacers the pacers still struggling of course without tyrese halliburton uh and the magic more and more not the you know bottom tier team i mean they're record wise still not stellar but they're starting to you know put some wins together especially with van carroll back after he'd missed a bit of time uh you know, a few weeks into the season with, uh, you know, an ankle injury. I believe it was an ankle injury. Um, But they're starting to put a few more wins together and maybe uh, separating themselves from, you know, the Pistons or the Spurs and Rockets, teams of that caliber just a bit. Um, And they've they've got back-to-back wins uh, this game against Indiana, the second straight win for them. Uh, and they never trailed in this game. They led by as much as 17 points. Uh, for Indiana, their leading scorer was the rookie Mathurin off the bench with 26. Uh, they had 22 points, 13 rebounds for Miles Turner, and 21 points for Buddy Hield. Uh, TJ McConnell also added 17 points, and there was 16 points from Chris Duarte, uh, who's getting a little bit more minutes. I know that some fans. Some Indiana fans were kind of saying he had maybe had a sophomore slump. Um, I haven't looked a lot into his specific stats this season. I feel like I haven't seen a lot from him after he had a really hot start last year as a rookie. Um, but regardless, yeah, the the Pacers not terrible, but the Magic just a little bit stronger and their starting lineup very strong. Uh, Twenty three from Ben Caro again, he leads away from them for with the scoring. Twenty two for Gary Harris. 18 points, 10 boards for Wendell Carter Jr. And 13 each for Franz Wagner and Markel Fultz. Fultz, again, getting uh, more minutes after he missed a bit of time at the beginning of the season with injury uh, or recovering from injury. And, uh, yeah, he's looked all right. You know, I think he's been playing well enough for the Magic to win some games. And so, uh, yeah, nice win for Orlando at home. Next, this was the first of the national broadcast games, a doubleheader on TNT uh, as part of NBA Rivals Week. It was the Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Brooklyn Nets. I actually, fortunately, was able to watch a good amount of this game. Um, and uh, it, it was a pretty exciting game. There was It was a long game in terms of actual time elapsed. Uh, that first quarter, probably up in the record books as far as longer, uh, you know, times for a quarter to complete. There was a lot of fouls. Uh, technical fouls called as well. It was a pretty chippy affair, especially between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. You know, worth the price of admission, especially if you were looking for that, uh, you know, that beef, that, uh, you know, the, I guess, a rivalry now there. The the heated exchange between those two guys, they they went up against each other, especially, uh, I want to say it was third quarter. Uh, they were guarding each other for a stretch, or it might have been just before the half. Um, but the Sixers get the win despite some uh, some strong efforts from the Nets and Kyrie in particular. For the Nets, he led the way, uh, or no, he was second in scoring, thirty points, ten assists for Kyrie. Seth Curry led the way in scoring, thirty-two points off the bench. He was wanting to make a statement, that saying, "Hey, don't forget about me. I was part of that Ben Simmons trade. Um, you know, I was a stellar player uh, in my role in Philly as well." So he had thirty-two points. Kyrie with 30, 25 points, 11 rebounds for Nick Claxton. And he actually fared very well against Joel Embiid. Uh, I think Embiid is still obviously the better player and uh, still played better of the two in that matchup. But it was a pretty close matchup. And and Claxton's been getting a lot of attention, uh, you know, in the most improved conversation. Uh, I definitely, after seeing him play, I'm paying a lot more attention myself as far as what he's doing. I just, when I had seen him play in the past, uh, you know, he had great length and good height, um, not the most stout player, and he didn't play very big. Um, But in this game, he did play much bigger, you know, compared to what I'd seen in the past. And he played long, he played athletic. Uh, He was not afraid to, you know, catch the ball inside and, um, you know, Long stride using his length to get to the basket and finish layups. I was pretty impressed with what Claxon was doing. So he's doing, you know, starting to put some points on the board uh, along with the rebounding and, and things like that. Uh, Simmons finishes with 12 points and there's also 11 points from Utah Watanabe. Um, yeah, Simmons, he was scoreless through the first half or maybe had a couple points in the first half and then had a stretch where he made two or three straight baskets. Uh, he finished five of seven from the floor, two of three from the free throw line. Uh, he also had five rebounds, five assists. Uh, but for the Sixers, as we said, they are the ones who won the game. Uh, Max, he actually led the way scoring wise. He had 27 points off the bench, 26 points, 10 rebounds for Joel Embiid, uh, 19, no, excuse me, 23.7 assists from James Harden, uh, 19 for DeAnthony Melton in the starting lineup, and 18 for Tobias Harris. And 10 for Matisse Seibel coming off the bench. And the Sixers get the win against the Nets. Very (laughs) cathartic win, I'm sure, for the Sixers. Anytime they can beat Ben Simmons from here until the sun burns out is probably going to be very cathartic. Um, Next, the Washington Wizards. They put another win together. That's their fourth consecutive win, and their first win with Kendrick Nunn on the roster, first game with him on the roster. He had a pretty impressive dunk. Uh, driving down the lane, but they win that game in Houston against the Rockets 108 to 103. Um, and Rockets actually held a lead, uh, but just before half, a lead as much as 19 points. But then the Wizards will whittled, whittled away and took the lead again in the fourth. Uh, actually, lead for the first time in the fourth in the game, and then never relinquished that lead for the Wizards. Or actually, let's start with the Rockets since they, uh, were the losing team in this matchup. Uh, they were led again by Alperen Shangoon, 21 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. Another triple-double for him. He more and more continues to be a statistical marvel, along with three steals and two blocks, uh, one of the lone bright spots for the Rockets this season. 19 points seven assists for Jalen Green, uh, 16 points for Kenya Martin Jr., and 10 points for Jay Sean Tate. Uh, meanwhile, for the Wizards, 33 points, 9 rebounds for Kyle Kuzma, 17 points for Bradley Beal, 10 points, 10 rebounds for Denny Avdia. He continues to be a nice rebounding force off the bench. And 12 points for the aforementioned Kendrick Nunn as the Wizards get that win in uh, Houston. Next, this was a a pretty intense matchup despite the uh, shorthandedness of the Nuggets. The Milwaukee Bucks win at home against the mentioned aforementioned Denver Nuggets, 107-99. I hope I'm not overusing that phrase, aforementioned, or that word. I feel like I used it a lot last episode and now this episode, but it's a good word. Uh, the Bucks win 107-99, to um, and the Bucks actually, or the excuse me, the Nuggets held leads at various points in the first half, but then the Bucks were able to uh, build a lead in that second half and, uh, you know, expand on that lead. For the Nuggets, their leader was uh, Aaron Gordon in this game. He had 26 points, 14 rebounds. They had uh, four other guys in double figures. For the Bucks, it was Giannis doing his thing, 33 points, 14 rebounds. He did have nine turnovers. Again, the turnovers are maybe a little bit more uh, present than you might expect or might hope. Uh, nice game for Pat Coniston, though, 19 points, 12 boards. Uh, five of six from three-point range. They also got 20 from Drew Holiday, and the Bucks able to beat the Nuggets. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves were in New Orleans facing off against the Pelicans, and they won that game on the road, uh, spoiling the return of Brandon Ingram to the lineup. They won that game 111-102, uh, and Anthony Edwards had a pretty nice game in this one. Uh, yeah, 37 points for him. All the other starters scored in double figures. Gobert had 17 points, 12 rebounds. Um, for the Pelicans, they had 25 points from CJ McCollum. He's the leading scorer. Uh, 15 points, 12 boards, for balanciunas. Ingram, a uh, little bit of a sluggish start. That was the the takeaway from uh, you know, TNT or at least, you know, a few news play, not news places, but you know, um, Sports information places, I guess, sports news. Their takeaway was he was sluggish. Uh, he only shot 22% from the floor, uh, made all five of his free throws. I guess you could call that sluggish. But, um, you know, he'll he'll put it back together, I imagine, pretty quickly. Probably within the next couple of games, he'll be acclimated. Um, and then hopefully they can get Zion Williamson back, who we'll have a little bit more to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but regardless, yeah, Timberwolves, nice win for them on the road. Uh, devastating loss for New Orleans as they are, you know, they keep getting these losses racked up together, but they have Ingram back. Hopefully that's a, a good change of pace for them. Uh, next, the Atlanta Hawks win in Oklahoma city, uh, 137 to 132 against the thunder. Um, SGA had another nice game in this one, but uh, I guess it just didn't seem to matter or the Hawks were able to overcome that. He had 36 points, seven assists, five boards, two steals, two blocks. Doing his thing that he's been doing this season's uh, filling up the stat sheet. 24 points from Jalen Williams. That's L-E-N Williams. Um, 16 from Josh Giddy, 12 from Lou Dort. But for the Hawks, it was uh, Trey Young. 33 points, 11 assists. 20 points for Bogdan Bogdanovich. 21 for DeJounte Murray. 18 and 10 boards for Clint Capella and 19 and 10 boards for John Collins. Uh, front court rebounding, very strong. The back court scoring, pretty strong. And the Hawks uh, get that win against the Thunder team that's shown a lot of fight this season. Um, then the second of those TNT games, the Golden State Warriors win a wild game at home against the Grizzlies. The Memphis Grizzlies, 122 to 120. Um, yeah, pretty wild last couple of minutes. Uh Steph Curry gets ejected for throwing a mouthpiece. And I believe it was because he was upset with uh Jordan Poole's shot selection, if I remember correctly. I tried to to catch what exactly happened in those last few minutes. Um, you know, Wild rebounding, throwing it out for shots, Memphis answering, but then Warriors able to withstand just enough to to win the game. Pretty wild affair. For the Grizzlies, they were led by John Morant, as you'd expect, 29 points, 12 assists. Uh, All of their starters scored in double figures, uh, including 20 from Desmond Bain and 19 from Brandon Clark. Uh, They also got 13 off the bench from Santi Aldama. But for the Warriors, uh, Curry did have a nice scoring game in this game up to when he was ejected, 34 points. Uh, 24 from Clay Thompson and 21 from Jordan Poole. Draymond Green, 13 rebounds, seven assists, one steal, three blocks, doing his uh, typical things. They did not have Andrew Wiggins in this game. Kaminga had 13 points in place of Wiggins in that starting lineup as the Warriors get that game against the Grizzlies. Uh, Three more games to cover. This one, a huge game worth talking about, um, and certainly a huge individual performance. The Portland Trailblazers win at home. 134 to 124 against the Utah Jazz, a divisional matchup, that uh, Northwest division. And, uh, you know, the Jazz were pretty competitive and made it close through that first half. And then Portland was just on an offensive tear and they uh, took a lead in the second half and and ran away with it in the second half. For the Jazz, they were led by Markkinen's 24 points. Uh, He's normally their scoring leader, 18 for Jordan Clarkson. They also had 19 off the bench for Colin Sexton, uh, 12 each for Vanderbilt and Talon Horton Tucker off the bench as well. And 11 for Rudy Gay off the bench, plus 10 from Malik Beasley in the starting lineup. He had a bit of a struggle offensive game though, only shot 30% from the floor. However, for the Trailblazers, uh, it's a little bit hard to overcome when a player scores 60 points on you. Yes, that's right. Damian Lillard scored 60 points. Uh, he's the first player to have three or more or at least multiple 65 and five games. He had 60 points, eight assists, seven rebounds, three steals, tremendous percentages. I mean, how are you going to beat that? You're not going to beat that. Uh, and so incredible game from him, uh, plus 19 from Jeremy Grant and 16 from Anthony Simons. Uh, and uh, yeah, just too much Damian Lillard. It was game time for sure in Portland and uh, the trailblazers able to beat the jazz with that huge effort from Damian Lillard. Next, the Toronto Raptors uh, cool off the Kings. Uh, that's a quote from the NBA website. They beat Sacramento Kings in Sacramento, one thirteen ninety five. Unfortunately, the Kings not able to light the beam that night. And uh, it was a pretty runaway performance for the Raptors. They led by as much as 20 in this game. Um, and they almost won by 20. For the Kings, um, Sabonis, a a bit of an off night, I suppose, but they did have 21 from Kevin Herter, 16 points, eight assists for De'Aaron Fox, 16 for Keegan Murray. Uh, However, the Raptors were, you know, able to really take charge here. 26 points, 11 rebounds for Pascal Siakam. Uh, They had in total six guys in double figures. They also had 19 points off the bench from Precious Achua and, uh, yeah, Raptors able to get that win against Sacramento. And finally, the return of Anthony Davis and the debut of Roy Hachimura for the Lakers, and the Lakers able to do right and win at home in those two players' important games for the Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers defeat the San Antonio Spurs in LA, 113-104. to um, Anthony Davis came off the bench in this game, and it was a pretty back-and-forth game, but in the end, the Lakers able to come out with a win uh, for the Spurs 25 points from Kelton Johnson led all scorers for them. They also had three, four of the guys in double figures, but for the Lakers, it was a, a nice balanced attack, 21 and 12 from Anthony Davis off the bench. Good to see him playing effectively one steal and four blocks defensively. He's still doing his thing. LeBron 20 points, 11 assists, nine rebounds, nearly the triple double there. His percentage is a bit off, but he's still got the 20. 18 points for Patrick Beverly and uh, 14 off the bench from Westbrook and 12 off the bench from Roy Hachimura as well. Important to note he's his debut for the Lakers and they get to the win against Spurs. And that takes care of our uh, game summaries from the last night of action. Let me get a drink here to make sure my throat will last. <clears> throat> okay. Now we don't have – we have one key news item but it's a pretty substantial one so we'll spend just a few minutes talking about that uh, the NBA all-star starters were announced today for both the east and West uh, of course these aren't the people who'll be starting uh, the game like it won't be the East team and the West team because since the 2018 season it's been you know a draft of players there's two captains one from the east, one from the west, and they draft their their players and their teams. You know how it all works, I imagine, if you're uh, an NBA fan. But regardless, they still name the starters and the reserves by Eastern and Western Conference. So you have an even number of both conferences. Um, So we'll go ahead and share who those players are. The captains in the Western Conference, not a huge surprise here. LeBron James led Uh, all-star voting throughout the whole uh, voting process. This is his 19th all-star game, which I think ties a record for most all-star games or potentially breaks a record. This will be, uh, I think he extends his record for most consecutive starts and most starts in total uh, all-star starting uh, selections. You know, we don't need to go over the resume four-time champion, uh, multi-time MVP I want to say four-time MVP um, four or five time yeah um, soon to be NBA's all-time scoring leader playoffs he's the leader in multiple categories um, yeah and he's 38 years old still playing at a high level remarkable season so far definitely deserving of that captain's spot uh, in the Eastern Conference the captain there Uh, Third time as a captain, Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is his seventh all-star selection. Of course, he's a two-time NBA MVP, a finals uh, MVP, all-star MVP, uh, one-time champion a couple of years ago. Um, All defensive guy, defensive player of the year. He's stellar. I'm surprised that he got this pick over, say, uh, you know, even a Kevin Durant or maybe even Joel Embiid, but he's able to lock in that captain spot kudos to him uh and he's certainly deserving the way that he's been able to play so far this season uh so those are your captains in the west and the east uh let's first talk about the rest of the western players the two other front court players are Nikola Jokic, uh of course defend defending back-to-back mvp uh the joker this is his fifth all-star game he's um you know multi-time all nba all uh let's see i don't think he's he's not all defensive but um yeah he's he's been stellar now the uh nuggets all-time franchise leader in assists i'm sure he'll get there in points fairly soon even though he's not a high volume scorer um <laughs> although alex English is probably pretty high up but regardless um Yeah, Nicole Jokic, he gets there. And then the other front court starter, this is a surprise to have him be the starter is Zion Williamson. And not that he hasn't played well this season, but he has missed, uh, I think it was 12 games up to this point with uh, injury. He's been out uh, along with Brandon Ingram, of course, his teammate, but um A little bit surprising. Not that he's not deserving, as we said, though. This is his second All-Star game. He's having, you know, career highs and points, I think, rebounds as well. The Pelicans are a top team in the West, so definitely pretty well deserved there. Again, just a little surprised that he's starting over maybe a a Sabonis or someone else. Uh, Your backcourt starter, Stephen Curry, nine-time All-Star, two-time MVP, All-Star MVP, uh, Finals MVP, you know, the greatest shooter in NBA history, not much more you can say there. And Luka Doncic, the current NBA scoring leader, he's a four-time all-star now, Um, you know, definitely well-deserved. He's had a crazy season so far. In the East, your front court uh, guys are Kevin Durant, 13-time all-star, one-time MVP, finals, two-time finals MVP, um, multi-time all nba, you know. Uh scoring champion at, uh one or two points, you know, definitely well deserved. He's still ha- having a great year even though again like Zion he's missed some time. Uh and then Jason Tatum, four-time all-star at this point now, uh arguably an mvp front runner. Um Eastern Conference uh finals mvp, the only winner in that award's history since it was just barely brought out last year. Um yeah, definitely deserving the season he's had, and then the two guards. Uh, firstly, Kyrie Irving, eight-time All Star, um, you know NBA champion, uh, multi-time All NBA, you know stellar player, and the Nets are having a great season, so that's well deserved. And then Donovan Mitchell, four-time All Star. This is his first uh, time starting. Zion Williamson, it was also his first. It's also his first time starting and uh, for the the All Star game. But Donovan Mitchell, first-time starter. Um, he's, he had a 71 point game earlier this season. We know about that, um, you know, playing very well for a Cavs team. That's doing pretty well in the Eastern conference. And so kudos to him, congratulations to him and congratulations to all these guys for being named starters for the all-star game. Um, that covers everything. The, um, reserves I checked today, the all-star reserves, it's a different process for the All Star starters. They are selected on a combination of all uh, fan votes, media vote, and player vote. Uh, I think it's player vote. Certainly, media and fans. Fans, I think, I'd have half the say. But uh, the reserves are different. reserves are voted on by all thirty NBA head coaches. So reserves, I think, will have you know probably not too much surprise there we could have some surprises we'll see what happens um and the reserves will be announced a week from today on february 2nd so definitely uh keep an eye and an ear out for that and be ready for that day when those are announced okay that's the uh the key news for today let me get a drink again real quick before we go into our franchise focus <clears throat> okay again our franchise focus we're talking about the la clippers and we start our franchise focus, we we do it in three parts. If you're not familiar with the ways you do this and with the past episodes we've done, we firstly talk about the current team uh, this season, but also the last few seasons, their direction, what the franchise looks like going forward as far as building, rebuilding, uh, contending, you know, tanking, things like that. Then we go into, uh, we pick a team from that franchise's history that's worth highlighting you know, one, you know, for one specific season, you know, set of players, playoff success, things of that nature, and then uh, pick a player from that franchise's history to highlight, give some attention as far as their, um, their performance, their, uh, their abilities, their, their stats, their accolades, what they're able to do for the franchise, things of that nature. So firstly, looking at the the Clippers um, currently their direction they've uh they've been in an interesting position you know and you can't deny the talent they have there of course it starts with paul george and kawhi leonard um again i apologize needed a drink there but it started it starts with uh the departure slash trades of chris paul and blake griffin and deandre jordan uh throughout 2017 through 2018, 2019. That was, you know, it started with the end of the Lob City era. The, you know, uh, Chris Paul, the Blake Griffin tandem that was very competitive in the Western Conference, but then, you know, fell short. They decided to change it up, start from scratch for per se. Um, the 2019 team was interesting. That was the year they made the playoffs as either a seventh seed or an eighth seed. They had um, Montrez Harrell, and then they had the three guards starting. Uh, let's see, it was Shea Gilders Alexander, Landry Shamet, and I think Patrick Beverly was still starting on that team at that time. Um, yes. Yeah, so it was Beverly, Shamet, and SGA, along with. Danilo uh, Danilo Gallinari and um, Zubats and then off the bench was um, Montrezl Harrell they had Lou Williams off the bench as well so they had two six man of the year candidates it was a very interesting team and they gave the Warriors a run for their money but then similar to the 2019 Nets a young core that had some interesting potential was kind of, okay, now that's an afterthought because we're going to make some trades and some moves to now suddenly have two of the best players in the NBA, uh, a recent, at the time, recent finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard and a uh, guy who was in the conversation for MVP that last season, the 2019 season, in Paul George. And that, starting with that 2020 season, that's been the trajectory of the team going forward is uh, they have te- the, you know, these all world type players and they're trying to uh, now be a contending team in the Western conference and the returns have been mixed. I would say, I mean, that first season, they were 49 and 23. That was the uh, the COVID year in the bubble. They lost in the conference semifinals to the Denver Nuggets, who would then go on to lose to the Lakers. And so it's interesting because they were a very good team that year. They were on pace probably to win 59 or 60 games. Um, fantastic team. They had, you know, good depth. And then they lose in the conference semifinals. And then the immediate – it seemed like the easy uh, excuse was, this, we you know, this was a, our, our first year. We were figuring it out anyways. The next year, the record isn't as impressive, but they have a great playoff run. They get to the conference finals, actually, for the first time in the franchise's history. That's even dating back to the days of the Buffalo Braves. They go to the uh, conference finals for the first time in the franchise's history, uh, put up a decent fight to the Suns, but they were hampered by injury. Kawhi Leonard was out already at that point. Um, Plus, that Suns team was on a roll. They were playing great basketball and they weren't able to uh, beat the Suns and go to the finals for the first time in the franchise's history. So let down. And then last season, they were without Kawhi Leonard pretty much the whole season. They were just Paul George and, you know, that the, the supporting cast, I suppose. And Paul George is still a good player, but there wasn't enough, you know, talent surrounding that to elevate the team enough to ma- get into a uh, the the playoff picture. They were in the play-in, and then they lost to a team with a, a lesser record in the Pelicans and in that uh, final play-in game. So they were uh, kind of upset and forced out of a, a playoff spot where they would have played the Suns in the first round. So this season, their record is, so far, the percentage is a touch better than it was last season. They have Kawhi Leonard back. They have Paul George back. They've still missed time, both of them. And now the immediate future is if those guys stay healthy and play consistently, which seems to always be the conversation, especially these last year or two with the Clippers, if they're healthy and consistently playing, you would imagine this team would continue to rise up in the standings and would be, you know, five seed and up somewhere in that mix, at least, in the Western Conference playoff picture. If they continue to have these rest games for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you're not going to have consistency going into the playoffs, and you're going to have, um, you know, a team that record-wise, maybe you're in the the play-in tournament again with a seventh or eighth seed, you know. Uh, the West is still very much up for grabs. It's a, it's definitely the wild, wild West this year. But um, that's the short-term outlook. The long-term outlook, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, of course, are going to be the, the the cornerstones as long as they're content in L.A. because they're still fairly young in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Paul George is the older of the two, I think, but they're still both – fairly young i mean let's let's check here before i go ahead and say that paul george 32 Kawhi leonard 31 yeah so they're still in their prime as far as you know 28 through 32 is loosely i kind of think of that as like a you know player's prime but um it You give it another three or four years, then they'll start to be on the decline. But you've got probably another two, three years of solid contention, them being the real pop of the NBA at least. You know, with what LeBron's doing, maybe even longer. But you know, that's no guarantee. So you've got Kawhi and Paul George for a while, as long as they're content, and you make sure the supporting cast is good. And honestly, I think what they've done as far as trying to build around them, I think they've done better than you know if it's better or worse i'd, I'd say better i mean Zubots has gotten just a little bit better every year this season he's playing some very nice basketball i mean he's grabbing 10 boards a game um, blocking a little more than a shot a game he's just a nice solid inside presence that you know works well for them marcus morris i like he's getting older he's declining um, but he can still be a nice little you know Scoring guy, uh, as a a swing man, along with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Jackson. Uh, he's still playing fairly well, although, uh, him and John Wall, there's they probably want to see about some sort of other guard option to pair with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, just because I mean, John Wall, we know that his injury history, he's 32 himself. Maybe he has a renaissance with the Clippers. I think it's certainly possible, and I'd like to see that from from John Wall. Um, Reggie Jackson is about that same age. So, I mean, those two guys can make it work. Um, And if they play, you know, if they get more consistent, they're more healthy, you know, I like that overall. I think the big thing that's been really nice for them is Norman Powell. He's become a real sixth-man candidate. You know, the Clippers in the last 15 to 20 years, that's what they seem to specialize in is six men, uh, six man of the year type of players. You know, Jamal Crawford, Montrezl Harrell, Williams, probably within the last 10 years more so is that, that lump. And now Norman Powell's in that mix. You know, Batum is probably going to be gone before too long, but they have Luke Kennard who's uh, a nice shooting piece. I think maybe the concern is if they can get a little bit more size that would probably help them out in the long run. You get a guy who can back up Zubots, be a real uh, consistent option as a backup center. I mean, because outside of Zubots, they really don't have. They have Moses Brown on a two way, who's seven foot two. They have Diabate. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that right. Out of Michigan, he's a rookie as a power forward on a two way. So they have a little bit more depth in their two way contracts. But outside of that, they've got a lot of more swing men, you know, and I think that's probably the big question mark and maybe a point of emphasis for them going forward is getting some some size and some depth uh, with size at the center spot, you know, coming off the bench. So that's maybe a point of concern, but their, their depth is solid. You know, they've got some nice things uh, going for them. And so, you know, Coving- Covington's on this team too, and he's not getting a ton of time. Um, so I think they've they've got some good things going. Again, it's just that depth at that front court, especially the size, having a backup center, being able to fill that role. Because again, I know it's, you know, you don't have to have a Hakeem Olajuwon or a Patrick Ewing or a David Robinson to, you know, be a, a real contender or even to win a championship. But you've got to have center stability and even though he's undersized the Warriors have Kavon Looney who plays big inside the Clippers have Zubats who's great he's you know fits exactly what I'm talking about but they also need somebody like that off the bench I think and so anyways that that would be my point of concern but that's really the the outlook for the team and that's where it's been for quite some time it's you have you have PG and Kawhi can you build enough around them and can they stay healthy? So that's the outlook. Um, but let's talk about a short-lived Clippers team back in the day of, because if, if, when we think about the Clippers in general, we're thinking about the last 10 years where they've been consistently competitive. They've been uh, a more often than not playoff team. They've had some really exciting and, you know, contending type teams in, the mid-2010s with Blake Griffin and Chris Paul, we talked a little bit about them. We have the current era with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. But before that, and still in kind of the general recollection of what the, the Clippers are, they have not been a very competitive team. They have a franchise 418 win percentage Um out of fifty-three seasons, they've made the playoffs sixteen times, and nine of those appearances have been within the last twelve seasons. And so, it's definitely been a tough history for them. You think about before that, from twenty eleven to nineteen ninety seven, uh the ninety eight season through the twenty eleven season, they only made the playoffs once, and so that was a very uh, Lean time for Clippers fans. Um, They had a similar stretch from 91 to 77. From 1991 to 1977, they didn't make the playoffs once. And so, tough time. They had tough times again in the late 90s through uh, the early 2010s. But there was one playoff appearance in there. A bright spot if you will and actually you look from 2005 to 2007 they were uh they hovered around 500 combined through that whole stretch uh and the year in the middle where they made the playoffs so team i want to talk about 2006 los angeles clippers they were 47 and 35 when they played uh they actually won their first round playoff series against the denver nuggets to move on to the semifinals and play a seven-game series. They forced the Phoenix Suns to seven games in the conference semifinals as the Los Angeles Clippers of the mid-2000s. That, I think, is worth celebrating. we got to talk about it. It starts with Elton Brand, an all-time underrated player. He was a rookie of the year, a couple-time all-star, and he was one of the top power forwards of his era. You look from... Uh, His first year with the Clippers to that 06 season, uh, the first and last of those both being his only all-star years, he averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds, two blocks, one steal, two assists. Those are great numbers. He wasn't a stretch guy, but he was a a pretty uh, prototypical power forward, especially for that era as far as, you know, inside scoring, a little bit of mid-range game, and a strong rebounder. He played very well. And then alongside of him, you had the caveman, Chris Kamen, one of the less heralded prospects from that 2003 draft. He was a one-time all-star in 2010. Uh, But in 06, he was still solid. He had the long hair. He was a 12-point, nearly 10-rebound-a-game guy. He was just a nice inside presence, and he was a, you know, fun (laughs) guy with the hair. You know, that was kind of insane. And then you had – the experienced point guard, Sam Cassell, in his 36th year uh, and his what, – what season would that have been for him? That was his 12th season in the league. He was just that steady presence. He was a 17-point, six-assist guy leading the charge. And with that experience, that playoff experience, that championship experience, leading this team that hadn't won much themselves – They also had Katino Mobley, uh, who's a nice little scorer, a nice shooter on the wing. They had, um, yeah, Corey Maggette was the starting small forward, I believe. Yeah, he did deal with injury, but he was a nice scorer still. He's one of the top scorers in terms of just all-time points in Clippers franchise history. And their depth wasn't terrible either. They had a young Sean Livingston. They had uh, Quentin Ross. Who filled in much of the time in that uh, small forward spot? He could put a few points on the board. They had uh, Vlad Radmanovic, uh, the Rad Man. There, he was a uh, power forward slash small forward. He's a real, uh, you know, a, a stretch guy in that spot. And uh, you know, the depth doesn't go a ton past that. They had an older Vin Baker on the roster, um, but just looking at what this team was able to do, especially in the playoffs, Elton Brand stepped it up even more, 25 points per game in the playoffs, four assists and two and a half blocks. He was stellar. Um, Sam Cassell played his game and, you know, Elton Brand really kind of led this team to that uh, first round victory. And again, for them to play a seven game series against the Phoenix Suns, the 06 Phoenix Suns MVP, Steve Nash and, pretty much the height of the seven seconds or less i mean it wasn't as good a regular season record as the previous season but again it was mvp steve nash it was how amari stoudemire was out with injury that was a big thing for them that season but still you have nash you have um sean marion uh joe was joe johnson on the team still at that time and, no, not Joe Johnson. Steve Nash, Sean Marion, Dial, Boris Dial playing great basketball, Raja Bell, Tim Thomas, Barbosa. Okay, yeah, so it, was, it wasn't as deep as the other teams, but it was still a top team in the Western Conference. They forced them to seven games. And, uh, again, it was a surprise appearance for the Clippers in an era where they were a very suckful team, I guess, if we want to not be – you know put it very bluntly and so just want to recognize that you know especially Elton Brand a guy that gets kind of underrated um and that team they were coached by Mike Mike Dunleavy it was a 47 and 35 record during the regular season the executive was Elgin Baylor and again a nice little playoff run to give some excitement some hope to the Clipper faithful um speaking of the Clippers of that era I wanted to talk about a guy who was there during the some of the toughest stretches. He did make the playoffs with the Clippers in uh, 97, but a guy that was there through much of the, the tough years. Let me get a drink again real quick. Uh, a guy that was there through much of the toughest seasons in the late 90s and early 2000s, but was a consistent player, Uh, At times, a starter for the Clippers and a guy who was kind of ahead of his time. Uh, And that guy is Eric Piatkowski. If you haven't heard of this name, I, until maybe a year or two ago, wasn't really familiar myself. Um, He was, first of all, he's a third generation uh, pro player. Uh, of course, I, I did see his dad, Walt Piatkowski, was an ABA player, uh, played a few seasons in the ABA, short-lived ABA, and actually one season averaged 12 points a game, so not a bad ABA player. And then uh, his dad before him, his grandfather, uh, Joe, played in, I imagine, some pro leagues in the 50s. It doesn't, I didn't find any stats for him, which I'm guessing he did not play in either of the leagues that became the NBA or the NBA in its very early years. There were a lot more pro leagues in that time as, you know, leagues were trying to be established and, you know, become, you know, a a premier league, I suppose. Uh, At that time, I imagine there was much more attention on college basketball than pro basketball, but uh, his grandpa was a pro player. His dad was a pro player and then he became a pro player. So a third generation professional, he played his college basketball at University of Nebraska. Shout out to the Cornhuskers there. Um, actually I actually have some family in Lincoln, so that's you know kind of a fun note there. Um, but he was you know all Big Eight. He was a great college player. Gets drafted by the Pacers actually, but then immediately is traded with uh, a couple of other players to the Clippers for Mark Jackson. Uh, So he was immediately a a piece in the Pacers getting Mark Jackson, who would lead them to their uh, or help with, you know, Reggie Miller, lead them to their great success in the playoffs in the 90s. Um, But he yeah, he had a great career with the Clippers. He played nine seasons with the the L.A. Clippers Um, before he was with the Clippers. He actually played for the U.S. in the World Basketball Games of 93. Excuse me. and So that was pretty remarkable um he uh let's see his career high was 36 came against the dallas mavericks there's actually highlights of this on youtube i definitely recommend checking that out um if you search eric Piatkowski, i think that's one of the first videos that comes up Uh, and he set the clippers individual season record for three point percentage at 46 percent And he was third in the NBA that season. That was that same 2002 season, the same season he had his career high. Um, And, uh, you know, you look at his averages for the Clippers, they weren't ultra high. I mean, he averaged over that whole period, 8.6 points. His highest was 11.3. But you would really like to think of him, that was an era when they didn't really take very many threes. He was a career uh 40% shooter from three. Um and he attempted at most four a game, which isn't a ton. You know, you think about like a Clay Thompson, he probably takes double that. And so if you think about a uh, Eric Piakowski in the modern NBA, and especially if you look at those highlights, he would have been he would have thrived in the modern NBA. And we say this about a lot of guys who are great shooters. Uh, but especially this guy who, you know, catch and shoot guy, but he could also uh, handle the ball pretty well. You look at his highlights. He reminds me a little bit of a Clay Thompson in the sense that he's catch and shoot, but also is not afraid to put the ball on the floor a bit, um, pull up from mid range, pull up from three. He even had a highlight. I saw one where he, you know, drives in and dunks on Sean Kemp uh, in the late nineties. And so that was a pretty, fun highlight to see that might've actually been his rookie year. I don't remember exactly, but um, yeah, pretty remarkable player. At one point he was the leader in a number of categories for the Clippers. I think he's been passed for a few of those. He still is the franchise leader all time in three point field goals, even ahead of JJ Reddick, who was with the Clippers for several years. Um, He's third on all-time games played, second if you discount the Buffalo years. You know, he's second for the all-time L.A. games played. Um, He's pretty low on minutes played simply because, as we mentioned, he wasn't always a starter. Um, He's pretty high up on uh, free throw percentage as well. I want to say top 10 or so. And he's let's see i think there's a few other stats again he might have been passed on some of these but he's you know kind of a a a nice part of the clippers history his nicknames uh were pike and the polish rifle that second one is sick because again we're at a shortage in my opinion of great nba nicknames especially within the last 10 or 15 years so to look back and see some great nicknames like the polish rifle for a great shooter that's uh you know i love to see that as well um yeah he just a, a, a great pro player you know he w- obviously wasn't an all star he wasn't an all league guy uh he wasn't even an all rookie guy his rookie year um but he was again ahead of his time i think i i strongly recommend looking up those highlights from that mavericks uh career high game or the game against the mavericks where he had his career high um and also that dunk he had against Sean Kemp. One more video to watch where it's just someone talking about him. But uh Jerry Lawler, who was a longtime broadcaster for the Clippers, he was an iconic voice for the Clippers, uh, he talks very glowingly about Pyakowski and uh how fun of a player he was to watch, specifically talking about that O2 team where he had some of those memorable performances. So definitely look more into him i just wanted to highlight him and kind of give some appreciation to those guys that we you know kind of forget about a little bit because he wasn't an all-star he wasn't this he wasn't that but he was ahead of his time is what he was and he was a great great shooter especially for his era so um with that that just about wrapped things up for our franchise focus uh episode and content let's go ahead and uh finish up the episode first by doing our uh, This Day in History closing fact. Um, This is a little bit of a a downer, but it's definitely worth remembering at this time. So it was uh, three years ago today, January 26th of 2020, that we uh, lost both Kobe Bryant as well as uh, his daughter Gianna Bryant and um, uh, several others yeah, seven other individuals in that, uh, helicopter accident in California crash. Um, and so, yeah, definitely a a sad note. I remember when that news came out, I was stunned. I just couldn't believe it because, especially because I think it had just been the the week prior or the couple weeks prior when he was in attendance in Philadelphia for LeBron passing him on the all-time scoring list. Um, and he had only been retired for about four or five years at that point. Um, it was just totally, you know, stunning. And still you think about the relative newness of the NBA, uh, just this last season only being its 75th season in existence. Um, certainly we've lost a lot of the early pioneers, uh, and early stars in the NBA's history, but on the whole of the greatest players in the league's history, we haven't lost too many. We've lost some we've lost, you know, Moses Malone, I can think as one we've lost, um, Wilt Chamberlain is another, but there are many, even from uh, as far back as the, the late fifties, uh, and even mid fifties that are still alive. And, to lose a guy who had just barely retired, who had a lot of exciting things going for him post-retirement, who was who still had a lot to give to the game and who had given so much to the game, uh, definitely sad to, to lose. Not only him, but for him and his family, for his daughter to be lost, that was uh, devastating as well, so. Again, kind of a, a sad note, but we, it's a, I feel like it's important that we acknowledge and, and recognize the, the loss that we experienced um, just a few years back. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up for today's episode. Uh, thanks again, all of you, for listening and supporting the show. Uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow to do our uh, kind of weekly wrap-up show. We'll give you a normal game summaries and key news from last night's uh, action. Uh, We'll maybe do a couple small segments before we give you some previews for the weekend and uh, wrap things up. It'll be a little bit of a shorter show for you. But regardless, uh, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll be back tomorrow.